Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Mount Perrin North Canton campus. It's my privilege to be able to greet you this morning. I know Jeremy, our campus, pa- our campus pastor, has greeted you. But those that I have not had the opportunity of meeting, my name is Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perrin North Marietta and Canton campuses. I'm usually here every other week. I do the 9 o'clock service at our Marietta campus every Sunday and come out here every other Sunday. Uh, I was here last Sunday, but the way our schedule has gone in the month of May, I was two weeks at the Merida campus, and so I'm two weeks here at the Canton campus, and I'm going to be team teaching with uh, Pastor Jeremy this morning. Um, We recognized, or at least we uh, had a time of prayer for uh, those that the families of those that were killed in uh, battle, as well as uh, those that are presently serving. I would like for us to take one moment. If you're here and you are a veteran of the military, you have served in the military at one point in time, or you are serving right now, we would love to recognize you. If that's you, would you stand in the room, please? You have served in the military at one time, or you're presently serving all over the place? Yeah, let's give it up for them. Absolutely. Bless your hearts. Thank you so much. For those of you presently service, thank you for your serving our country. And as those of you that have served, thank you for that as well. Our prayers are with all of you. And uh, we just thank God for you. As Pastor Jeremy said at the opening, we are going to conclude a little two-part series we began last week called All in One. If you happen to have a Bible with you and you want to turn to Luke chapter 10, you're more than welcome to do that. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. We're going to be looking at verses 10, uh, or chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 this morning. And we're basically talking about the fundamental principle of life. We talked about it beginning last week, and we're going to conclude this week. Let's pray one more time as we open up our hearts to God's Word. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We sense you, and we are very grateful that out of your grace and your love for us, you come to be with us today. And so, Father, we don't take that for granted, but we acknowledge you and we thank you for that. And now, God, for the next few moments, will you enable us to truly look at your word, speak to our hearts, challenge us today, God. Help us to really look at where we are in our relationships with others. And may we truly begin to to really look at that from your perspective and change us where we need to be changed. Help Jeremy and I share this the way you want it shared for your praise and glory now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In the fourth century, during the time of uh, the Roman Empire, the church was under tremendous persecution and the, uh, the moral decay in society was on the incline. There was tremendous upheaval within the Roman Empire itself politically. And the church found itself with so much pressure going on around it and coming against it that not only did they begin to withdraw from society, but they began to withdraw from one another. And many followers of Christ went out into the wilderness to live alone and some found caves to live by themselves. But then there was another phenomenon that happened where people of the church found these large pillars, 30 and 40 foot large pillars. Some were ruined, some were already holding buildings, but they had to get able to get access to them. And they built these large scaffolding and they would climb up that scaffolding with a ladder on their shoulder and a rope. And they'd get to the top of that scaffolding, put the ladder up against the pillar with the rope. They would, they would, they would climb up the ladder, carrying the rope, get to the top of the pillar 
They would kick the ladder away and they would live on top of that pillar by themselves. And they would lower the rope down every now and then for, for passerbys to hopefully tie a piece of food to them. And they could pull that up and they could eat. They were known as pillar saints, completely withdrawn and totally uninvolved with the world around them, living in isolation. You know, when we look at our society today and we see the amount of moral decay, when we see the amount of, of increase in a persecution atmosphere towards Christianity, we have a tendency to want to become like pillar saints, followers of Christ do. We have a tendency to want to inoculate ourselves from being exposed to the decay, being exposed to the possible persecution, and we pull in and we try to just stay as uninvolved as we can. And you know, pillar saints never hurt anybody. They never hurt anybody. But pillar saints never helped anybody either. And Jesus Christ addresses this pillar saint mentality that we can get into from time to time when he answers a question that was asked of him, how do I inherit eternal life? And that's where we come to the story in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verses 25 through verse 28 is where I'm going to read for right now. We pick up this story. Verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and strength and with all your, uh, uh, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Jesus said, you nailed it. You nailed it. Love God with everything you are and love yourself and love others. Now, it's interesting. Christ was asked a question recorded in Matthew where someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he answered by giving the same answer that this expert in the law just gave to Christ. Christ said the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. He said the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then he went on to say this sums up all of the law and the prophets. In other words, he was saying all of the scriptures basically say this. Love God and love others as yourself. That's the fundamental principle of life. All of scripture goes in this one principle. Love God and love others as yourself. Last week we talked about loving God. Today, Pastor Jeremy, I want to talk about this idea of loving others. Because Jesus Christ didn't say for us to go put ourselves on top of pillars. He said, I want you to engage the culture with my love and my healing. Now, it's interesting when the expert of the law asked Jesus this question, how do I inherit eternal life? Luke writes that he did it to test Jesus. Well, what is this test that he did with Jesus? Well, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but sometimes we'll take we'll take Christianity out of the equation for a moment. Sometimes we're looking, what's the bare minimum that I've got to do to get by? Like, my brother in seventh grade, the first day of seventh grade math, realized I'm overwhelmed. And so he went to the teacher and tried to ask, like, what do I have to do to get a passing grade? Because that's what I want to do. We're, we're trying to find, like, the bare minimum. We're trying to find, what do I need to do so that this is a good deal, a good transaction for me? Because if you look at the law, if you go back now just looking at Christianity, looking at the gospel, looking at the Bible here, the law is, is this really heavy thing. 
There, there's hundreds and hundreds of things in the Old Testament, in, in the book of Leviticus and other places there in those first few books where you have this really heavy, uh, I mean, even this, the most like minute little thing, you, you can't do this because it doesn't honor God or it doesn't help separate you from the people that you would be living among. And so there's this really heavy thing. And so the expert in the law would know all of those things. And so he comes to test Jesus and again, in the book of Matthew, or even here, this idea of looking at, okay, if Jesus were to answer a certain way, does that negate the rest of the law? Like, if, what's the most important thing? Or what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What, what things don't matter and what things do matter? Like, what do I have to do in this relationship with you to get to heaven? What's the bare minimum, the one thing that I can focus on to get to heaven? Because it is this really heavy thing. And especially, we're going to throw up a scripture. This is from James chapter 2. This is further in the, Old, in the New Testament. And it, it relays the same idea here of loving your neighbor as a part of this, this whole idea of how heavy the law really is. This is in James chapter 2, if you want to put that up on the screen. It says this. We got that in James chapter? There we go. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers... For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So in this context where the expert of the law is coming to Jesus, he's got the Old Testament as his reference point. What we would call the Old Testament, but for him was just the scripture, all the law and the prophets. He would have those scriptures as his reference point. So he doesn't have really the same idea that you and I have of the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross to help cover this idea here. And so if we, we mess up one time within the law, we're, we're done for. I worked for a guy one time when I was in high school. I worked at a, a golf course, and his idea was, you know, there's ten commandments. And so if I do six of those right, that's passing. And that should be enough. Sixty. That's 60%. God can't expect more of me. And I'm not kidding. He was so serious about this. That's, that's all that God could require of me is six out of ten. That, that's more than half, and, and I should be good to go. And some of us in our relationship with God... Maybe we're not that blatant about it, but we're looking for a good deal in this transaction. What is it that I have to do to get to the end goal here, to, to win the prize, to get to heaven, or to make sure I'm on the level here? I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get really tickled when I go into stores and see those sale prices, like the sale signs, because sometimes it's like a really good deal. It used to be $1,000, now it's $14. So like sometimes it's really good. <laughs> I never find those deals. I hear about them. But they're great deals. But sometimes they're not such good deals. I want to show you a couple. Um, I found this actually just online. I didn't see this one. But it says at the top there, regular price $349 or two for $7. Now, some of you math whizzes realize that you actually get a better deal <laughs> not with the sale price. It even says right here, you save negative one cent. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know because it had a big orange and yellow sticker on it. Somebody walked in and go, well, i got to get two of them things to get the good price. Right? Because, I mean... They're, they're, they're looking for a deal. I want to get the best price. My wife tells me all the time, you know, if we spend $100, we save 40%. My, my logic says if we don't spend $100, we still have $100, <laughs> right? But we walk into the stores and we're looking for the sale price. We're looking for the, Now, I did see this one. This was me. I took a picture. That's why it's terrible. Um, I went into PGA Superstore. This is a putter that was $129.99, now $129.99. <laughs> I am a little confused. <laughs> At why this is a good deal for me, but I know that the now price is bigger font than the was price. I wasn't going to buy it anyway. I was just waiting on Corey shopping somewhere else. So, like, we want a good deal. We want to know in life that we're, we're getting a good deal. Nobody likes to get taken advantage of. And some of us approach Christianity that way if we're not careful. 
We come in looking for, okay, I want to get the good things of God, but what is it going to cost me? What do I have to give up? You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about this idea that, you know, a relationship with God is not just a list of do's and don'ts. There are some do's and don'ts because it's a relationship. There are things that I do in my marriage with my wife because it honors that covenant. And there are things I don't do in this relationship with my wife because it doesn't honor that covenant. And the same is true with the relationship with God. But we come into it looking for this idea of what's it going to cost me and how is this going to happen? In this passage that Pastor just read, this is a big test. And, and if you're not careful, you might think that this is just a really easy, free-flowing conversation. But there are two um, diametrically opposed sometimes, but very tentious, uh, that's not a word, tense, there we go, tense, statements in verse 28. I'm going to ask them to throw that back up there. It says this, Jesus is, is asked the guy, what do you believe is right about inheriting eternal life? What do you know about the law? And this is what it says uh, in chapter, verse 28 of chapter there 10. There, there we go. It says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now, if you just read that, you would think that Jesus is responding to him very, you know, hey, you got it right. Well done. You passed the test. You, you, you tested me. I put it, pushed it back on you. And now you've passed the test. But there's two things that are happening here. Jesus says to him, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now, the first part of this is this idea of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is a really fancy word in theology that just really helps us to see in the answered correctly part to show that orthodoxy is a correct belief. It's a right belief. It's the idea that you are pursuing knowledge that is correct, that is right. So your orthodoxy, your, your beliefs that are correct, that's, that's kind of housed here in this idea when Jesus says, yeah, what you answered, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, that is the correct answer. That's the correct piece of knowledge, okay? But then Jesus does not say, know this and you will live. What does he say? He says, do this and you will live. This is not orthodoxy. This is orthopraxy, right? This is the idea that the do this part is the correct action. It's not the correct belief necessarily. You've already got that part covered. So now take this knowledge, this belief, this correct belief, and let it be correct action for you in the way that you should live. And for some of us, okay, I'll tell on us, all of us, we kind of live in orthodoxy. It's the Bible Belt. We've been in church for a while, some of us. Maybe not all of us. But even in the time that we've been here, we've seen, okay, that I'm supposed to believe certain things and know certain things and learn certain things. And so I kind of live in that camp. But this one hour, one and a half hour on Sunday doesn't really affect the actions of my life outside of this time. And I would say to you today that you are missing the point. That this is not about accumulating or acquiring great knowledge about God or about this faith or about correct belief or correct knowledge. That's a part of it. But there has to be some transfer of that knowledge that affects the way that I live outside of this room. The other 160 or 70 hours a week, it should be affected not necessarily by this hour as much as what we incorporate into this hour, worship and, and reading God's word and prayer and talking to God, all the things pastor addressed last week about loving God, those should translate into the way that we should live. And today what we're looking at is this idea of loving our neighbor. And the, the expert answered that on his own. And he said, yeah, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor. So then the guy's like, okay, heavy law. That's the right answer. I know that, but now I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to find the loophole. I'm sure you never do this. 
I'm going to find the out clause here. And so he asks a follow-up question to Jesus, which pastor is going to address when he says, okay, I'll do that, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus Christ launches into the story that we all know as the Good Samaritan story. And the Good Samaritan story goes like this. It's there in the verses. I'm not going to take the time to read it. But Jesus Christ talks about a man, most likely a Jew, who travels from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the, the, the travel from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles, but it's a 3,000-foot descent from, Jeric- from Jerusalem to Jericho. And in times of Christ, that road was a very dangerous road. You didn't travel it alone, and you did not travel it at night because it was filled with all kind of bandits and thieves waiting to, to rob you. And so Jesus tells the story of this Jewish man who goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. And sure enough, he falls into the hands of thieves and robbers. They rob him. They beat him. They leave him on the side of the road to die. Christ says that a Jewish priest walks by, sees the man, but doesn't stop to help him and walks on. He says a Levite comes by, and a Levite was a priest in the making. He was an assistant priest, if you will, coming from the tribe of Levi. He walks by, sees the man, doesn't stop to help him, walks on. A Samaritan comes by, sees the man, binds up his wounds, places him on his donkey, takes him to the nearest inn, checks him into the inn, pays for his room and board, tells the innkeeper, look, i got to go away on some business. Whatever expenses he incurs, I'll be back to pay the bill. And then Jesus Christ says, to close it out, of the three people, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, who was a neighbor to this man? Now, Jesus really drives home the point of who our neighbor is by comparing Samaritans and Jews and having a Samaritan to take care of a Jew. Why? Because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They did not like each other at all because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were part Jew and they were part Gentile and the Jews looked down on them. The Jews had no use for them. They, they considered him to be just, just uh, 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 outcasts. And the Samaritans in return hated the way the Jews treated them. So for Jesus to be talking to primarily Jewish people and making the Samaritan the hero of the story, I mean, that was just in-your-face conviction. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. You ready? He's saying this. In answer to who's your neighbor... Here's where you begin. Begin with the person you like the least. Begin with the group of people you like the least. Begin with the type of person you like the least. That's your neighbor. Anybody convicted yet? So that's that's your neighbor. Now... My tendency is to be like these pillar saints. And that's what, the, that's what the priest and the Levite are. They're these pillar saints, you know. And, and that, that's my tendency. And I think for a lot of us, if we think about it, that, that sort of been, seems to be the way we bend as well. And we don't know why these guys didn't take the time to help this man. I mean, this man's laying there bleeding to death. Obviously, he's in need. But for whatever reason, they're not going to take the time. And maybe it was because they were just too busy. Maybe both the priest and the Levite, they had important, good, honest responsibilities at the temple and they just had to get there. They didn't have the time to deal with the guy. Or or maybe, you know what, they looked at him and he was so bloody and messed up 
that they thought, man, you know, if, if I get involved, I don't know where this is going to go. I could get really sucked in. This guy looks like he's got a lot of issues. I'm not, I'm not sure I have what it takes to deal with all this dude's issues. So I'm, I'm just going to go on. Or maybe they had gotten involved with guys like this before and they got burned. Maybe, maybe people, they, they involved themselves with people and people didn't appreciate them. They didn't say thank you. They took advantage of them. They said, no way am I getting burned again. I don't know. But for all of us, we find ourselves busy. We realize involving ourselves in people's lives gets messy. And we also realize, hey, you know what? I could get taken advantage of. And Jesus Christ gets that. Because here's the truth. We are busy. Involving ourselves with people is messy. And they will take advantage of us. But you know what Jesus Christ said? Love them anyway. <laughs> Love them anyway. He said, take the risk. The risk, the risk, the with. The with, it's with it. <laughs> the risk is worth it. Why? Why is the risk worth I mean, it's easy to be a pillar saint. It's comfortable. I'm protected. But why is it worth the risk to come off the pillar and get involved in the lives of people? Well, one reason it's worth the risk is because Christ risked it for us. Christ did for us. Because here's the bottom line deal. We're the guy on the side of the road. We're the guy that's beaten and bloody because of our own sin, our own wrong choices, our own bad attitudes, our own dis disobedience and rebellion against God. We're the ones that are bleeding and hurting because of the sin that people have done to us, people that have hurt us, people that have abused us, people that have left us on the side of the road. And we can't clean ourselves up. And we've turned to people who have let us down. And we've tried all kinds of ways. And we find ourselves still there. And then Jesus Christ, who's the Samaritan of the story, he's the one that risked it all. He came from heaven, risked it all, risked anybody receiving him, everybody rejecting him. And he comes to us and he's the one that cleans us up. He's the one that makes us whole. He's the one that heals. He's the one that restores. He's the one that renews. He's the one that revives us. Many turned away from him. Many still do. And many will. But he risked it for those that would receive him. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus Christ hears, heals ten lepers. Ten lepers. And leprosy at the time of Christ was any type of a skin disease or, 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 or malady. I mean, it could have been just bad acne. It could have been just some type of a rash and you were considered highly contagious. And you know what? You were kicked out of the community and you had to go and form your own colony. You were an outcast. And the only way you could be put back into society, into the community, is if you went and presented yourself to the priest and they looked you over and you looked clean, then they would restore you back to the community. Ten lepers, ten outcasts. Come to Christ. He heals all ten of them. He says, you go back and you present yourself to the priest. And he'll return you back to society. They did that. You know what? Only one returned and gave thanks to Christ. Nine of them dissed him, took advantage of him, and went on their way. He knows 
what it means to be taken advantage of. And, and when you get involved with people, it can get embarrassing. It can be awkward. I remember a time my wife and I were at the Marietta campus and we we're walking through the lobby area and there were two ladies there that we just happened to run into. It was, it was about a six o'clock at night one night and we were just coming through there to pick something up. We ran into them and they were helping another woman. They were helping a woman who was going through a very difficult time in her marriage, going through a tough time in her life. And, 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 and my wife and I knew about this story. My wife knew it more than I did because she had been helping some too. Well, these two ladies came up to us and said, hey, we're going to go talk to this lady. It's, it's sort of the moment of, of really of bringing her to where she needs to make some changes. We need some prayer. And so they're updating us and we're standing in their lobby. And I just have to be honest. I'm not listening. My mind is somewhere else. I am thinking about what I got to pick up. I'm thinking about where we're headed. Udella's listening. I'm not listening. I'm just being honest with you, okay? So they're doing all this. We're standing about five minutes. They look at me and say, Pastor Mark, will you pray for this lady? Absolutely. We hold hands and, men. I pray heaven down. God, touch Mary. Lord, be with Mary. Watch over Mary. Give Mary wisdom. I mean heaven has fallen down for Mary. The ladies look at me after I say amen, say, thank you, pastor. They walk out. Udella and I go get in the car. Udella looks at me and said, Mark, who's Mary? (laughs) Uh, I said, that's the lady. She said, no, 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 no. Her name is Renee. I said, I don't know. Somewhere in this world, there's a Mary that got really blessed. That's all I can tell you. Guess what? Pillar saints never get embarrassed like that. But they never really do much good either. See, we risk it because he risked it for us. But also because he asked us to risk it for others. And look at the end of the story. Verses 20, or excuse me, verses 36 through 37. This is, this is how the story ends with Christ. He says to the guy, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. He says, this is what I want you to do as my representative. Now, here's what's interesting. The guy asked Jesus, which launched Jesus into the Samaritan story. He asked him, who's your neighbor? But then Jesus, after telling the story, gives the obvious idea who our neighbor is. He flips it again. Just like when, what Jeremy was talking about when the guy asked him and then Jesus flipped it. Well, Jesus flips it again. At the end, he says, out of these three, who do you think was the neighbor? Christ isn't just concerned with who our neighbor is. He's concerned about us being a neighbor. Because you know what? If we are a neighbor, who our neighbor is takes care of itself. And as Pastor Jeremy said, it's not about what we know per se, but it's about what we do. That's right. And you know, sometimes that's a little bit difficult if you're trying to translate your knowledge into action in the moment. Like if you're trying to make, make it happen in the moment and you've not really thought about it ahead of time, you've not really established what you're going to be, who you're going to be, if you're going to be this neighbor, if you're going to love neighbor, if you're going to take care of people. If you're trying to do that in the moment, it's a little bit difficult. I'll give you an example. Uh, I am the head coach manager 
of the seven and eight-year-old Mount Perrin uh, travel summer all-star team. We're awesome, okay? <laughs> we don't know if we're awesome. We haven't played our first game yet. But practice, we're unbelievable. I asked those kids, seven and eight years old, I asked those kids a question before every single pitch is thrown, and I want them, hopefully, to begin asking that question for themselves, of themselves. Before any pitch is thrown, I ask them this question. If the ball's hit to you, where do you go? If the ball's hit to you, where do you go? I've probably said it a thousand times so far in our practices. Now, why am I asking that question? Because even for Chipper Jones to do this would probably be a little difficult, but he's got years and years of experience. For my seven-year-old to catch the ball, if he does that, it's awesome. Catch the ball, (laughs) stand up, and now decide where he's going to make the play and then make the throw or start running. There's no way we're going to get an out. He's got to know before the ball's hit to him where he's going to go so that he's not reacting to the situation. He has proactively prepared himself to respond in the appropriate way. And I know that's big words for seven years old in baseball, but I'm telling you, it preaches good, right? (laughs) So I'm asking these guys, where are you going to go if the ball's hit to you? When I was in student ministry for 10 years I would have questions all the time from students, especially older high school students, about their dating relationships and some of the aspects of those relationships. What's appropriate? What's not appropriate? And I said this almost every time, 100% of the time, I guess. You can't make that decision in the moment. Why? Because you're going to mess that up. You have to establish, before you get in a moment, what your response will be. You have to. And so transferring knowledge into action is not necessarily done. Now, I know sometimes there may be something you've got to respond quickly, but if you have set in your life these foundation, or as Pastor talked about, this fundamental principle of loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and loving our neighbor, I mean, if it changes the lens by which you view life, it just becomes the way that you view people and respond to people, that you're going to be a neighbor. And now as that neighbor, you're going to respond to your neighbor's some of those people that you don't necessarily like, they're, they're the hardest people for you to love. But when you encounter them and they're in need, the filter, the lens by which you even view them and view life is through this fundamental principle. You have set that principle in motion before you ever get in the moment that requires a response. So before you're ever walking down the road and run across a guy that needs help, you've already established that you're the guy that's going to love him. You're the guy that's going to help him. You've already established for yourself that before you ever get into a moment, I'm going to respond. When I was about 13 or 14 years old, um, we were coming out of a restaurant and, and, a, and a guy that we assume is homeless or whatever, he comes up and asks my dad, hey, can, you know, can I have a couple bucks, whatever? And, and my dad opens his wallet, gives him a couple dollars. And I guess at 13, I was always already very jaded. I'm not sure. But I, the guy walks off and I look at my dad and I said, hey, aren't you worried what he's going to spend the money on? I don't even know where I got that thought at 13. My dad said, that's not for me to decide. The only thing that I'm accountable to in this moment is my response to him. That's all God requires of me is to respond. I I may not be able to give something every time. Maybe there's times I don't. But my only accountable response here is how I respond to this this guy. If he asks me for something and I have it, I'm ready to, to give. And God's going to... Honor me for that because I believe that I'm, I'm loving my neighbor. I've never forgotten that since I was 13. And as I got older, I got burned. People took advantage of me. I did get into situations where I, it was messy. It was, it was, oh, so messy. And sometimes I'm looking back going, why did I ever get involved in this? But 
I hope that in my life, I've established that principle. And now I've got four kids. And the other day we walked out of a restaurant and a guy walked up to us and said, hey, can I have a couple bucks? I never carry cash, but I had $2. I just, yeah, yeah. And I gave him the $2. We got in the car and Cooper, my seven-year-old said, dad, why, why does he need money? I said, I don't know, buddy. He was like, well, why'd you give him your money? I said, because he asked me for it and I had it. And I want to try to help people when I can. I can't always give them something, but I want to help them when I can. And I'm hoping that that helps him to establish this fundamental principle. And that's not the only example we have, but I want to be a person that is a neighbor loving my neighbor. There are huge issues in this world, and I know sometimes when we look at them, we're overwhelmed and we think, how can I even begin to make a dent in any of this? There's an organization called A21, led by a great couple and a lot of really great people, but the lady that kind of heads this organization up, her name is Christine Kane. And their organization has just made it their life mission to help rescue girls out of the human trafficking industry around the world. Or these 11, 12, 13, sometimes that's too old. It's even younger than that. They're, they're, they're ripped away from their homes and their families if they even had those families. And they're just trafficked all over the world in various places and taken advantage of and abused and it's terrible. And so Christine and her husband and others that have joined with them are just made it their life mission. They're going to get involved. And I was at a conference earlier last year and she made an incredibly profound statement right out of this passage of the Good Samaritan. And she said, you know, we run the risk sometimes of sympathizing about someone else's need or even empathizing about their need and calling it compassion. We have compassion for that situation. But she said, in my opinion, it's not compassion until you cross the road and get involved. And that's kind of the, that's the motto of their organization. And so for you and I, yeah, we're busy. Yeah, it's going to probably be messy. And there's a chance that you can get burned. But Christ still called us. The law still compels us. When you boil it all down to the bare minimum of the gospel and what we're supposed to do, it's to do this. Love God and love your neighbor. Um, Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite the, the band to come up at this time if they would. Tells another story. He, 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 said, he said, look, you know what? If you, if you feed the hungry and you clothe the naked and you visit those in prison and you... Help strangers. And you, you help to meet people's needs. He said, you know what? You're doing that to me. He, he just really put it in a huge context. He said, when you do that, you, you do it to me. When, when we love people, when we be the neighbor, when we take the time to come off the pillar... And take the risk to be the neighbor. It's, it's doing it unto him. Simon Peter writes in one of his letters in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. He says these words. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So the implication is every one of us in this room has been given a gift, ability, a talent that God has given to us by which we can love people, by which we can serve them, by which we can help meet need. Every one of us has some type of a gift. 
And he says, I want you to faithfully administer it. But look at verse 11. He says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So then all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He's saying, look, if we, if we take the ability God's given, the God-given ability to love people in, in simple, tangible ways that are within our ability to do, he says, you're doing more than just meaning that you are honoring God. And that's what we're made for. We're made to honor God. That's why I believe the first and second commandment are so closely connected together for Christ. The first one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because in loving others, we're actually carrying out the first one as well. We are loving God. And man, that's what it's all about. So you know what? As, as Jeremy told the story about his dad giving... The money to that guy, not knowing how the guy was going to spend his money. Yeah, if the guy, if the people are going to take advantage of me and it's going to be messy and I got to sacrifice some time, you know what? I'm honoring God. Mother Teresa. This is credited to her. She wrote this supposedly. It's entitled, Do It Anyway. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. When you spend years building, someone could destroy... What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, others may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the best to the world you have anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. See, he's not going to ask us to do something that he himself hasn't done and doesn't empower us with the ability to do. It's a matter of what Pastor Jeremy was saying. We've got to just make that decision. This is the type of person I'm going to be. And one of the great ways we can easily just, on a regular basis, make sure we're coming down off the pillar is find a place of ministry right here in the church. That's not the end. That's simply a means. But finding a regular place that I'm going to come down off the pillar and involve myself in people's lives ministries of the church is a great way to begin to look at hey this is a way I can begin to move out of this sort of pillar saint mentality and into this being this neighbor that God has asked me to be I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment With our head bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask one, one question. How many of you right now have a relationship of some kind 
that you're dealing with somebody that is difficult to love. It, it is difficult to be involved in their life. It is tough to come off the pillar for them. But the Lord may be speaking to you today saying, Hey, that's your neighbor that I want you to begin to let me take you off the pillar and begin to reach out to them. But you would say, Pastor, I got somebody in my life, they're difficult to love, and I need the help of God to really be able to do that in the way He wants me to. If that's you, would you just raise your hand in this building? Just raise it up good and high. Well, there's quite a few folks. I think we all could say that. We've all got somebody that it's tough. Well, I believe the Lord today wants to help us. He wants to give us not only the creativity by which to do it, but also the courage by which to risk it. I just want to pray right now, a simple prayer for all everybody that raised their hands. And then we're going to just have a simple response chorus. Pastor Jeremy will close it out. Father God, I don't believe there's a person in this room that's not convicted by the reality of what you've asked us to do in loving our neighbor. Father, it sounds good and, and we want it. We want to be loved like that one on the side of the road, but it's difficult at times for us to love the ones on the side of the road. Father, we need your help. That's why we have a Savior. That's why we need a Savior. Because what we often believe is not what we always do, and it's tough for us. That's why by your grace, you empower us with the ability, and we call upon that ability right now. I pray for every person that raised their hand. Father, that somehow this week, just by being open to you, that they will find a way, each one of us, to somehow reach out to the one that's difficult to love, regardless of what we get in return. Because we're going to do it as doing it unto you. We're going to see you in them, and we're going to honor you by reaching out in some way. Father, I pray you would help us all to consider, God, where in the church body might I begin on a regular basis just to come off the pillar to engage in lives? Help us, Father. To see those opportunities. And God now in the name of Jesus. We're believing for healed relationships. For reconciled, restored relationships in this room. As a result of us saying. Hey. Regardless of who my neighbor is. I'm going to be a neighbor. That's going to risk it. Because you risked it. And we want to do it. As doing it unto you. For your praise. Your glory. And your honor. In Jesus' name.